This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. It's time for Right Spot with Dunedin UNESCO's City of Literature. And this uh, regular fortnightly spot gives us the opportunity to speak with uh, some wonderful creative people producing wonderful work. And uh, today, it's my great pleasure to uh, introduce Lawrence Fernley, who has a new uh, book out, Wintertime. You're going to have an opportunity on Sunday to hear a bit more about that book and discussion. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But in the meantime, Morena and welcome Lawrence Fernley. Morena, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Now, I uh, hands up, I have not read this book, and so I'm going to be very interested, Lawrence, in, in the way an author describes a book, because, of course, we all get the, the press blurbs and, and uh, the tasty bits that come out about uh, introducing it to us, but how would you describe this book to someone who doesn't know anything about it? Um, well, my starting point is probably as good a way to introduce it as anything else, which is that I'm, I'm writing a series of books five books each based on the five senses and this one is based on touch and my starting point I was thinking about my childhood um, early childhood when I grew up in Fairley and spent a lot of time in the Mackenzie Basin and I was thinking about snow and those sort of really long cold winters which we're actually almost seeing um, little snippets of at the moment when there was that big snow last week and now there's the rain um, that feeling of cold and um, uh, just the beauty of the landscape, but kind of using that almost in a symbolic way um, to describe the sort of winter of this chief protagonist who's called Roland, his relationship with his partner Leon. They're sort of going through their own winter time. So it's kind of that dual function, really. And Roland has returned from a period in Australia. Um, good opportunity to to really highlight and in contrast um, the the respective settings there. I mean, the Mackenzie country has its own personality, doesn't it? And, and that will always come through in your writing. Yes, and um, and you've made a really good point. You know, I I put him in Sydney because I always thought of Sydney as being warm and wet, and so there's that kind of nice. Um, physical contrast with um, the Mackenzie, which I sort of see as dry and cold or hot in summer if it's Nor'wester. So I always like contrasts. Um, I really enjoy writing contrasts in my books. You know, I like um, always including a few nighttime scenes um, to contrast with the day and, and contrasting between relationships, you know, friendships and and more intimate relationships. So I, I, I really enjoy writing, you know, contrasting humour with sort of bleak grief so, um, yeah, that was really important, placing him in Australia so he could come back. And also so he could come back to a place where he'd had a difficult childhood and could go through sort of memories and work through and process um, his life with his family. He's come back to a fictional little town in the Mackenzie country, Matariki. What can we read into the name of that town? Um, well, what happened was... Um, I mean, anyone from around here and probably in a lot of places in New Zealand will recognise it as um, Lake Tekapo. But one of the problems was um, the opening scene has one of the characters drowning in one of the canals. And, you know, like locals, you know, you always used to do the shortcut by following the canals if you're going through that way rather than taking the main road. But those canal roads have been closed to the public for quite a few years now. You you can sort of access bits of them to go fishing, but you can't do that whole drive-through. So that was a problem. You know, if I'd set it in Lake Tekapo, 
um, people would have said, well, you know, the canal roads are closed. There's no Humphrey Hall house, which is a house that I reference. Um, and I remembered from writing The Hut Builder, which was set in Fairley and the Mackenzie, that people, not not many people, you know, when I say people, I mean one or two, sort of pointed out some of the things that I'd sort of given to Fairley that weren't actually in Fairley, you know. <laughs> that house wasn't there in 1950 or whatever. So I thought... Um, I changed the name to make it fictional just to allow myself a bit of wriggle room but um, still identify the key parts. How interesting that um, as a writer of fiction you should have people um, saying, paying such close attention to to elements that aren't fiction and holding you accountable for them. Oh, yes, and it happens quite often. You know, again, with the hut builder I had people, you know, um, coming up to me after events at book festivals talking about whether or not somebody who wasn't a mountaineer could climb Mount Cook. You know, just little things like that. And you realise how much a reader brings to a work and how really responsible you are for doing the best job you you can do. Um, and it is a really fascinating process because when you're actually in the process of writing a book, I tend to focus on the text and the book and I create my own world and, and I sort of think, well, if I've given somebody a green school uniform when it's a brown school uniform, it, you know, it's <laughs> fiction. These characters don't actually exist either. You know, if you take it back all those steps, the story doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, it's it's not true. It's not there. It only exists because I thought it up. And yet it becomes so real to the readers. And that's just fascinating to me. Well, it's all about authenticity, isn't it? It has to feel authentic. Yeah, that's that's dead right. It does have to feel authentic, and I think in in focusing on the sort of the winter and and that that um, relationship between people who live in the town of um, Matariki and the people who come and go, I think that's a very authentic thing as well. You know how there's a lot of holiday homes that are kind of empty homes in those places now, whereas once that had more of a sense of a community feeling especially in places like Twizel, you know, which was a Ministry of Works kind of place, and then um, more recently it's become more of a touristy place. Speaking of, of settings, um, tell us a little bit about the mechanics of your writing. What What is this typical setting for you to be doing your work? Where are you? Um, I, I, quite, I always write at home, and um, quite often I like sitting... If if I'm if I'm working with a lot of notes, I have to sit at the kitchen table because I have to have books around me. But if I'm just writing or editing, um, I like to sit on my bed because it's the most comfortable place for me to sit. Um, I had some quite major surgery on the back of my thigh last year, and it's made sitting on hard chairs extremely uncomfortable just from the scar tissue and and the side of the surgery. So sitting stretched out on bed is is far more comfortable for me. And it's it's a nice, peaceful outlook. I, could, I look out onto the garden and I tend to work... Um, I used to be very disciplined. I used to always make sure I wrote a, a thousand words a day and then I'd let myself off for the rest of the day. But these days I'm a little um, more gentle with myself. But the way that I always make sure that I start writing every day is not to go... You have to write a thousand words. It's always to be led by curiosity and go, I wonder what will happen when I start writing today because I never plot out my storylines or my characters. So I don't actually know until I'm writing what's going to happen. 
So if I sort of trick myself by saying, I wonder what will happen today that's different from yesterday or where the story will go or what these people will do that I didn't anticipate. Being led by that carrot always gets you into writing much more easily. You have uh, set yourself the additional challenge uh, of pursuing these writings along a theme uh, or you know the senses yeah. you mentioned that at the outset um, is that just so that that enables you to have the discipline and the focus that you need to get the work done I mean why did you make that choice? Um, I became very interested in smell and did sort of these scent mapping projects around my neighborhood and sort of just noticing the sort of responding to landscape through scent rather than the usual ways of looking at it or you know listening to bird calls and um, I just thought, oh, that would be quite an interesting sort of theme to carry through, you know, at, but not too literally, you know. So touch isn't about a masseur, for example, and sight isn't about somebody who, you know, works, you know, prescribing glasses. But um, but to answer your question, I think um, I actually enjoy writing and I realized how important writing is to me. Not so much publishing, but writing itself is very important to me. And I don't really need to give myself that framework of those five um, five um, senses to make me write. I think I would write. I sort of have 20 years behind me and I know that I would write. And I'll break up these novels with little non-fiction projects as well. Just to keep me interested. What's the uh, what's the distance in time between you know finishing your writing on winter time and us being able to get our hands on it? Um, for those um, who might imagine that that's a rapid process, I imagine it's not. Um, what happens is so I um, finished writing the I sort of tidy up as I go along. I'm, I'm a very tidy writer. I, I don't do that thing of just writing down um, rough a rough draft. I write a fairly tidy draft and then I spend about three months um, going through it word by word and making it an even tighter because I quite like tight, dense writing. So I would have given it to the um, publisher, which is Penguin, in about December and then between December and the end of February they, they sent it out to the editors and the proofreaders, so I would have I had three proof copies um, with um, various corrections, and they're mostly sort of grammatical corrections or um, that type of thing, not major rewrites. Um, so that took you know till the end of February, and then the book is sent um, overseas to be printed. But I mean that's that's a digital copy that's sent overseas and then it comes back. So um, it, it was actually a very quick turnaround. So I sent it off in December and it was published at the last day of May. So, you know, six months really. And so, you know, on the completion of the writing part of that task, do you then have turned yourself to defragging a bit, writing in shorter form and so forth? What have you been doing in the meantime? Um, I tend to sort of gaze out of the window a lot, um, collecting notes for my next book, which is based on sound, and I've been doing a little bit of research into the South Island Kokako, um, but mostly just sort of daydreaming I find very helpful, and also catching up on reading, because when I'm 
writing every day, I sometimes get quite tired and, and I'm not doing a lot of reading. So I do defrag. I, it, it used to be that um, I would sort of write uh, a book which would take a year, say, and then I would have a year off and then I'd write a book. So I was sort of producing a book every two years, but I'm sort of a little bit quicker than that turnaround now because I usually start thinking of the book to come whilst I'm writing the book that I'm working on. So it's 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 always different. I don't really have a plan. Well, I'm so pleased to hear that you have some time for daydreaming um, and that um, we should all probably uh, take a little bit of time for that, I imagine. Yeah, you can have an opportunity. I recommend it. Yes, you can have an opportunity <laughs> to talk about Wintertime uh, this coming Sunday when you sit down with award-winning poet and publisher Sue Wooten uh, yes. at an event in the Dunningham Suite on the fourth floor of our city library. This is Sunday from 2 o'clock. Um, what's it like to sit down with another writer to start pulling your process and your work apart? Oh, um, I always get extremely nervous before any, anything in front of an audience. And But Sue and I have done a few events together and we do this thing where we just sort of tell each other, just walk in the room. And if once you've walked in the room and sat down, you're sort of in it. And um, Sue is such a careful, um, intelligent reader that it's such an honour to, to be on stage with her so I'm really grateful for that opportunity and to tell the truth I really miss um, not meeting readers and talking to people and hearing their stories so I'm I'm really really looking forward to it it's um, going to be the highlight of my month so I hope people turn up Right, okay, well look um, we've heard a little about Wintertime you can hear a lot more about this wonderful new book from Lawrence Fernley uh, on Sunday two o'clock at the Dunningham Suite on the fourth floor of the City Library. This event is free, but you do need to RSVP to make sure you get your seat there. So um, get in touch with Dunedin Public Libraries, look on their websites, or if you're visiting the library, just uh, put your name down and make sure that you can get along to that. And just a note um, that masks are required to enter the library and during the talk they can be removed while you're having afternoon tea because afternoon tea is part of the experience as well. That's nice to hear, Lawrence. Yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> Love so, it. So, look, I want to thank you for taking some to, time to join us here on ORFM for our right spot, just to give us a wee bit of a taster of, of, uh, of this process of yours for, for wintertime, this wonderful new novel. Uh, go well and all the best for Sunday. Thanks so much, Jeff. See you later. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.